Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Here's our latest Ecuador update for you. Uh, After much consideration, we've decided to pull our dog's eyeballs out of his skull. Oh, Oh, I thought you were going to talk about our new uh, setup for the studio. Oh, well, that too. Yeah, we've we've we bought some foam and uh, we're constructing a studio. So I, I think we're well on our way there. But uh, but no, um, we uh, consulted a very fine local uh, Ecuadorian vet who suggests that uh, we pull our dog's eyeballs out of his skull. Well, we wouldn't do it. No, no. not us. No, 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 we're not qualified for that. Mm-mm. Nor do I have the stomach. <laughs> I mean, I get queasy when I get a hangnail. Yeah. I couldn't imagine doing that. So that's happening later this week. We're super excited about it and not nervous and freaked out at all. No, not at all. I feel good about it. Mm. <sighs> But the thing is, it's for the best, and he has increasing pressure behind his eyes because of glaucoma, and they say that the eye drops that we had been giving him aren't really doing it anymore. So, out they come. Oh, jeez. Maybe, maybe don't make that sound? Okay. Oh, come on. Well, you didn't like that one either? Okay, fine. No. Let's, let's just move along, shall we? You got a story for me? Mm-hmm. It's about cryptids. Oh. Yeah, but a little bit different. Most are. <laughs> do you remember when we lived in Maine a number of years ago? I a, do. A, oh, that was, yeah, it was a good time. A very interesting thing happened. They found the the body of what looked like some sort of canine hybrid And they weren't sure what it was. It made the front page of the paper. And Lauren Coleman, who has the cryptozoology museum in Portland, Maine, and is a world-renowned expert when it comes to cryptids, uh, was confused by it. He said that it possibly was some sort of bizarre hybrid, but it could have been a previously undiscovered uh, type 
of canine. I don't remember that. But to be fair, the newspaper in our area, it didn't take much to make the front page. There was a cat fashion show once that really made a mm-hmm. splash. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, so I'm pretty sure it's Bigfoot's dog, but oh. that, that was just my, my theory. But in the intriguing realm of cryptozoology, the boundaries between what's real and what's imagined are always evolving. Now, we're familiar with some of the modern-day mainstays in the world of cryptozoology, Bigfoot or Sasquatch, the big ape-like biped that's lurking in the woods in the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chubacabra, the Latin American legend, is said to feast on livestock, especially ghosts. uh, Goats. Wouldn't it be helpful if they did feed on ghosts, though? Yeah, yeah, it would solve a number of problems. (laughs) Um, Its reptilian appearance with spikes adds to its mystery, and chupacabra, of course, means goat sucker. Liking the way that you're saying that, by the way. Then there's Nessie, the Loch Ness monster, believed to inhabit Scotland's Loch Ness. Mm -hmm. It's another creature that, despite many photographs... Yeah, it remains a mystery. We don't really know. A lot of people think it, it could be... A whale penis. I've never heard that theory before, yeah. but I, I rather like it. Some sort of a uh, dinosaur that became landlocked at some point. But some creatures, once considered mythical over time, have been proven real. For example, the camelopard or camel leopard. For much of Europe's history... The vast African continent was a realm of wonder, Mm. uh, mysterious animals, untold tales. One such animal was so outlandish in its appearance that its very existence was doubted by many. Stories of the strange animal with its uniquely long neck and dappled coat posed a, a challenge to medieval European imaginations. They called it the camel leopard or a camelopard. But of course, it was a giraffe. <laughs> but I love how they they thought, yeah, this has got to be like half camel, half leopard. Right. Well, to be fair, in medieval times, they were big fans of half and half animals. Like any medieval illustrations that you see, there's like centaurs and mm-hmm. horses with face butts and stuff like that. There were many African expeditions at the time, of course. The animal was often described as the camelopard. The initial reactions in Europe to these tales and sketches that came from Africa ranged from sheer wonder to outright skepticism. Uh, How could an animal with such a long neck exist, many people thought? They would just topple over. The descriptions seemed as fanciful as the tales of unicorns and dragons and other mystical creatures that mm. that populated the contemporary lore. As with many things unknown, the giraffe was often either exaggerated in its features or downplayed as a traveler's exaggerated tale. But what's weird is the giraffe actually was in Europe uh, long before medieval times. The legend of the giraffe took a turn toward reality around 46 BC when Julius Caesar, following his campaign into Europe, brought a giraffe back to Rome and it was showcased in the grand city, presented as a camel leopard. It became the talk of the town. I can't imagine that thing was taken care of well. I wonder if it was part of like their their version of a circus where they would have all kinds of exotic animals. 
paraded around in the Coliseum. Hopefully it was just parading and nothing more violent. But as time passed, with the fall of the Roman Empire, the giraffe once again receded into the realm of myths. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I said, no, that didn't happen. That's just, those are words that tumbled forth from granddad's lips. I can't believe him. He's crazy. It wasn't until the Renaissance, which was a time that was marked by renewed interest in science and exploration and the arts, that the giraffe would make its return to Europe. And how did it make its return? It made its return as a gift to royal courts. Yeah, that seems right. Yeah. They were often political, meant to impress and build alliances. Um, With every new giraffe that set foot on European soil, the myths surrounding them began to dissipate. How did we come to know them as giraffes and not camel leopards? That's a great question. Thanks. I kind of wish they'd kept camel leopard. There have been other creatures in the past that were deemed mythical, that were proven to be real. Then there's the okapi, dubbed the African unicorn, was uh, an elusive beast. It was a legend in the Congo until the Western world recognized it in the early 20th century. And you know what's really interesting about the okapi is that um, it's got those stripies on its butt and people think that it's most closely related to a zebra, but it's not. It's more closely related to the camelopard. Well, that's fascinating. Thank you. The giant squid. That was really the source of a lot of the sea monster tales that took place, like the Kraken, um, back in uh, the 18th and 19th century, and even before, times when mariners were shipping out across the world, not knowing whether or not they're going to fall off the end of it. Right. Lonely, getting the hots for manatees. Mm, Those were romantic maritime days. The platypus... Mm. A lot of people didn't believe that. For That's fair. A long time. In fact, I still don't believe it. I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's real. I mean, it's a mammal that lays eggs. How weird is that? It's a bizarre animal. And many Europeans thought it was a hoax for many, many years. Of course, it's not a hoax. Well, not every mythical creature has a factual counterpart. Some have been inspired by real life fossils or misinterpreted animals. And, um, you know, when you think about mythical creatures like dragons, I've often wondered if that's just some sort of genetic memory of a time when our most distant ancestors roamed the planet simultaneously with giant lizards. That makes sense. Or the griffin. Griffin is the, like, lion guy with wings? Yeah, it's like a eagle-lion combo. Historian and geologist Adrian Mayer has put forth a fascinating theory in uh, the book, The First Fossil Hunters. She suggests that the legendary griffin, often depicted with the body of a lion and an eagle's beak, might have been inspired by Protoceratops, a dinosaur that existed about 75 million years ago. And ancient nomads might have discovered these fossils, leading to misinterpretations that birthed the griffin legend kind of a backwards look at things, but I think that's pretty interesting. Hmm. And what was it the uh, the sea creature that we thought had been extinct for millions and millions of years, and then somebody caught it? Uh, the coelocanth? Was that it? There have been a few of those. I love it when they, when they discover something that they think has been extinct forever. I'm not quite dead. But the day that they discover a griffin, 
I'm checking out. All I'm saying is it's crucial to maintain an open mind. Nature repeatedly has shown us that it can surprise us. Oh, wait a minute. Is this just a way for you to push your cryptid agenda? I'm just saying that, you know, a lot of times the <laughs> okapi, the giant squid, the platypus, the giraffe, those aren't real. Uh, so anyway, but the chances realistically of discovering new large creatures, they're dwindling with technological advancements, you know, even just cell phones. And the destruction of habitats all over the world. There's that too. Well, there, well, there is that too. Yeah, yeah. Really, all we have to do is wait in a Wendy's parking lot with our cell phone and pretty soon... We're going to be overrun with Sasquatch. It's true. And you can have a lemonade while you wait. They have the best lemonade. My source information. The first fossil hunters, dinosaurs, mammoth, myth in the Greek and Roman times. That's from Princeton University Press. Abominable science, origins of the Yeti, Nessie, and other famous cryptids from Columbia University Press. And tracking the chupacabra, the vampire beast Mm -hmm. from University of New Mexico Press. I'm just saying, give Bigfoot a chance. (laughs) All I am saying is give Bigfoot a chance. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames. And living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code oddities at checkout. And you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, If you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. 
When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now... That thing in the middle. Probably the most famous cartoon voiceover artist was Mel Blanc. Mel was the voice of pretty much all the Looney Tune characters, most famously Bugs Bunny. On January 24, 1964, Blanc was in a near-fatal car accident and was brought to the hospital in a coma. The doctors unsuccessfully tried to get Mel to talk. Finally, one of the doctors, who was a huge fan of his cartoon characters, asked Mel, Bugs? Bugs Bunny, are you there? And in Bugs Bunny's voice, Mel responded, Eh, what's up, Doc? After talking with several other of Mel Blanc's characters, they eventually led Mel out of his coma. Hey, Harold sent us an email, curator at theboxofoddities.com. He said, less than 48 hours ago, I first found out about Indrid Cold, the grinning tall man, and I had made a mental note to send you a link about him. Lo and behold, this morning, I see he's one of your topics. Hmm. Boo effect. Sarah sent us a photo of some air fresheners on the ground, and it says, what's worse than littering? Littering black ice little trees. (laughs) I love that that made you think of us. Be careful, there's black ice on the road. (laughs) A lot of people don't even know what black ice is because they never had the horror of living in a place where it was a frequent event. See, we're all learning. Bernadette writes, well, my first boo effect, fastballs the way, has been my earworm for at least a week. And then you told the story, too uncanny. I wondered if the family minded that their loved ones had been made into a song. Thanks for the story. Seriously, I just got a chill running down my body, and now I feel sick. Bernadette. Mermaid at Heart writes, So the thing in the middle for this episode was about gold in the oceans, and there's an ancient culture that says humans were created to mine gold for a race of gods. That's what I told you. I know. And I think it's really interesting to think that our obsession with gold was programmed into us by aliens. I love that idea. And Mitchell sent us a message. Hello, Kat and JG. I listened to Box 571, and JG mentioned having a hard time with the microwave, and it reminded me that a few years ago, my in-laws microwave died, and they ordered a new one. The whole thing was in Spanish. Mm -hmm. They kept it, though, of course, Mm. for comedic effect. (laughs) It was always a good laugh. (laughs) Yeah, I still haven't mastered that, by the way. But to be fair, you've never really mastered our microwave that was in English. That's true, too. That's fair. If it doesn't have little pictographs like, oh, popcorn, (laughs) I I don't know what to set it at. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. 
On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Huska Castle is located in the Czech Republic. It's a fascinating structure, and it's intrigued locals and visitors with its eerie reputation and history. It was built during the early 13th century, and it's one of the best-preserved castles of that period. But the castle's construction is shrouded in mystery, and it deviates dramatically from the typical architectural style of that time. Some notable features of the castle include a predominantly Gothic chapel, a green chamber with late Gothic paintings, and a knight's drawing room, which weren't typical. But one of the most captivating aspects of Huska Castle is its purpose. Unlike other castles that were built for defense or as residences, Huska Castle served a peculiar role. It was constructed, it said, to seal a gateway to hell. Well, sure, if you want to increase your property values, you, you need to seal off all gates to or, or portals to uh, hell nope. in, in the netherworld. According to legend, residents uh, in the area had reported strange occurrences in the dense forests of Huska near a large pit that many people in the area believed was a gateway to hell. And the local duke, wanting to dispel any fears of demonic occurrences, orchestrated the lowering of a young prisoner into the hole. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, well, you know, you got to see what's going on down there. However, the descent turned out to be much longer than anticipated. And suddenly... Did they just pull up a skeleton? No, but a scream pierced the air. And as they pulled the prisoner toward the surface, the boy had seemingly aged 40 years in a matter of moments. 
Oh, that's cool. He was deeply disturbed by what he had witnessed, and instead of being returned to the prison, was returned to an asylum. Now, in response to this, because, you know, lowering a person and them coming back insane is kind of freaky-deaky, so in response, the locals tried closing up the hole, but no amount of stones that they threw in there filled it up. So the Duke took decisive action by constructing Huska Castle directly above the pit, sealing off the entrance to whatever lay beneath. And it's said that the castle was built to prevent the evil from reaching the rest of the world. And what better way to defeat those nasty forces than with a chapel? So directly over the hole is a chapel. And it was dedicated to the archangel Michael, believed to have raised God's army against Lucifer's fallen angels. I'm kind of confused why they didn't lower more prisoners down there before they tried to fill the hole up. I mean, you you have to duplicate your your experiment's results. I mean, that's just good science. Well, it, it said that they did, that they offered those who were sentenced to life in prison, they offered them the opportunity to get reprieve by agreeing to go down into the hole. I see, and no takers. Either that or same result, unclear. Either way, they built this chapel, and the chapel itself stands out due to many artistic allusions to Satan and paganism. One striking example is the portrayal of a left-handed creature, half woman, half horse, Ah, right? uh What were we just talking about? Yeah. And uh, first of all, half woman, half horse, that's that's not cool. And then she was also left-handed, which was associated with the devil at the time, which is bullshit if you ask me. But anyway... I know you're a lefty, and I sympathize with your 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 plight. I remember they would make all the left-handed kids in my school sit in one row, and I'm sure it was so that you know their hands and when they were doing stuff wouldn't bump into other people. Right. But um, it just seemed like they were just being ostracized. Uh, there's the leper colony row, and they always had to use scissors with little green plastic handles. Those were the left-handed scissors. I never had left-handed scissors. I just had to learn to use scissors with my right hand, and now I can't use my left hand to use scissors. Also, it wasn't until I was in high school that I was offered the opportunity to bat left-handed in softball. So you would learn, you're naturally left-handed, but Mm -hmm. you had learned to hit right-handed. Yes. That must have come in handy, though. Yeah, I became a switch hitter. Mm. And no one was surprised. Though in name only, never in practice. Now, legend has it that this gateway was not just a bottomless pit, but the bottomless pit from which horrifying creatures, including half-human, half-animal hybrids, emerged from to terrorize the area. And that the castle and chapel were meant to keep these entities from escaping into the world. It's because of all the unusual art, because of the local history, and because of the eerie atmosphere that lends to this, but also the fact that this castle was built in the middle of nowhere. It didn't seem to make any sense. So it wasn't constructed on a strategic outlook? No. Or to protect a, um, an important port? Or near a water source of any kind. Well... 
During the 1630s, there were rumors that the castle housed a Swedish sorcerer named Oronto. I'm just picturing this Swedish chef from The Muppet <laughs> Show perfecting an elixir in his <laughs> laboratory. philosopher's <laughs> stone. When locals got wind of what he was up to, legend has it that uh, they broke into his castle and two hunters murdered him in his laboratory. So that's not great. No. Now, over the centuries, Huska Castle has witnessed various historical events. It served as a refuge during times of war. It provided shelter to individuals seeking safety. It's also been used as a hunting lodge and a prison. It's even speculated that the Hormacht, the cowardly Nazi armed forces, occupied the castle at one point with the interest of occultism very high in its ranks. Mm. So it wasn't just that it was a really nice castle and they wanted to take over because they were weak and stupid. It was that they wanted to get close to this alleged gateway to hell. Yeah, I now that now that you said that um, I saw a documentary on that. I know. I know. How many times have I started a sentence with? I saw a documentary on, but um, in the final days of uh, the Third Reich, many of the high-ranking Nazi officials sought refuge there before they um, tried to escape to South America. Yeah, the activities were at at the time in Nazi-occupied Czechoslovakia, and it was shrouded in uncertainty because of all the records were either destroyed or taken to South America with them. Mm. But the reasoning behind their interest in the castle, other than the speculation that it was the gateway to hell is pretty puzzling. It didn't have great defenses. It was 30 miles from Prague. Like I said, there was no natural water source. They had to use like a water collection system. Some speculate that they were driven by the need to secure an extensive 13,000-page manuscript library of uber-dummy Heinrich Himmler. And he, as, as we know, had a deep fascination with the occult and believed that they could use that to power and facilitate Nazi domination. Idiot. There were claims that Himmler, fearing the destruction of his collection, had hidden motives beyond preservation and that he wanted to, you know, combine forces of the evil Nazi goals with this gateway to hell to utilize as a breeding facility for creating super soldiers. There's a lot of rumors about what went on there. Now, these may seem outlandish, but they really... Nazis sought after ancient artifacts like the Holy Grail, the Spear of Destiny, the Ark of the Covenant, and their quests for, you know, victory in the war. So it's really not that outlandish. <clears throat> it's well documented that, uh, that they did pursue those types of occult activities. Right. Many spooky tales and legends have emerged from Huska Castle. Visitors and inhabitants have reported witnessing paranormal activities, including sightings of ghostly apparitions, strange sounds, and unexplained phenomena. Some believe that the castle's dark past and its connection to the supernatural realm contribute to these eerie experiences. How could they not? Interestingly, during renovations in the early 20th century, 
workers discovered a series of underground tunnels beneath Huska Castle. Now, we still don't know what the purpose of these tunnels were, and that adds a whole nother layer of intrigue in the onion of intrigue that is Huska Castle, or parfait, if you will. Everyone likes a parfait. Presently, Huska Castle is under the ownership of the descendants of the former president of the Skoda Carmaker Company. And the castle welcomes visitors. As I said, many have claimed to witness apparitions roaming the castle halls. There have been reports from visitors describing eerie goings on, including a haunting chorus of screams emanating from the pit beneath the chapel. So is it like a really creepy Airbnb? Can you stay there? Ooh, I don't know if you can stay the night. Well, that's a missed opportunity. I don't know. There are alleged accounts of visitors hearing the distinct sound of claws scratching from the floor beneath the chapel. Okay. All right. Well, that's a hard no. Yeah. I got my information from allthatsinteresting.com, history.co.uk, discoveryuk.com. Well, that's steeped in horror. Right? And I love that it's one of those instances where real life horrible things and mysterious paranormal stuff have kind of combined and you don't know what's real and what's not. And Those are my favorite kind of stories. <laughs> well, those and the stories that people send us for our Halloween special. Oh, beautiful segue. Segue. If you would like to share your bizarre story, whether it's paranormal or just strange, unusual, unexpected, unexpected. record it on your smartphone and send it to us. Email it to us at uh, curator at the box of oddities.com. And um, we prefer an MP3 format, but uh, we can work with whatever you got. We've received our first submission and it's good. We want to hear your stories, ghosts, contact from the other side. Just unexplained phenomena. Neat birds. Curator at the box of oddities.com. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Henceforth, the box of oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash BoxOfOdditiesPodcast On Twitter at BoxOfOddities And Instagram at BoxOfOdditiesPodcast Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. Abominable, abominable, abominable. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. 
Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.